Hi everybody, this is episode 10 of season 4. We're coming towards the end of season 4 right now for the end of this year. And today I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi Matt. Hello Catherine, how are you keeping? I'm really good, thank you. Really good. I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend. We're recording on a Friday, which is a little bit different to usual. Um, but, uh, but it's nice just before. And, and how are you doing? I'm not too bad at all, although in saying that, given that I was in Cyprus last week with oh. temperatures of 25 degrees, coming coming home to the, uh, to the north of England as, as um, in yeah. November, it's been a bit of a shock to the system, to be honest with you. 25 down to 5. <laughs> you definitely know your home, don't you, when you start coming back in on the airplane and it's just automatic rain and grey and you're like, yeah, Absolutely. I'm yeah, back yeah. in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> However, adding about three more layers of clothes has kind of uh, solved the issue for at least a few days. So, uh, no, I'm very, very good. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Oh, okay. but I, I wish that you were still in the sunshine, but then at the same point, we wouldn't be able to have a good chat. So that's, so that's, that's good. true. <laughs> <laughs> so today, everybody, we're going to be talking about alcohol consumption and how it can influence insurance applications. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So to start things off as always, I'm going to go through a little bit of statistics about alcohol and, you know, obviously there's a complete range of situations where alcohol will come into certain question sets for some insurances and sometimes it won't. So, you know, if we're talking about the majority of insurances that people go for, which is known as personal insurances, so that's ones that they take out for themselves and they pay for themselves, that will probably have a question somewhere in there saying, you know, how much alcohol do you drink in an average week? Sometimes it might say in an average month. And, and it can be a bit different the way that the questions are sorry, put forward because you might get it where they say, well, how many pints of beer and how many you know, spirits are you having? Or it might ask you how many units. It really depends upon the insurer. And then you might have other policies where maybe they're non-medically underwritten or maybe group insurance, which is something that's arranged by employers for their employees. They wouldn't be going into the alcohol side of things. But I think that people can be quite surprised at how much alcohol can influence um, insurance applications. And obviously me and Matt will go through that a lot more and Matt will be able to give us a lot of the, the kind of the medical background around it. So in, in general terms of like as from an advisor, if you're wanting to help people, 24% um, of adults in the UK regularly drink. Um, I have to say, I actually was surprised at how little that percentage was to say that there was only 24% of us regularly drink. So I think we are we are kind of seen as a drinking nation. Um, but I, so I was actually really surprised and, you know, pleasantly surprised that we're, we're not seen as, you know, there's not as many regular drinkers as, um, as I thought there might be. But I think, again, going back to that thing of like people might think, oh, why is it something that insurance really needs to know about and things like that? Well, actually, alcohol is the biggest risk factor for death, ill health and disability in people that are age 15 to 49 years old, which is quite a that's quite a good age range. And I, th I found that quite surprising because I think we automatically think of cancer as maybe the biggest risk factor but actually you know this is saying that alcohol can be quite a, a thing and I could be wrong Matt but am I right in thinking that alcohol can actually sometimes increase the risk of some cancers as well? Oh yes you're, you're, you're absolutely right I mean um, certainly the cancers of the of the throat the mouth the throat stomach um, and possibly, and it will be no surprise to you, the liver, liver yeah. as well. So yes, ab absolutely. I mean, alcohol is 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 a toxin. Yeah, or contains toxins, 
And anything there that you're pouring into your body that that's, uh, will, will damage organs and toxins do, then that is going to increase the risk of cancer. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah, so thank you for, for yeah, clarifying that. Because when I was looking into it, it was saying that alcohol um, is the cause of over 60 known conditions. And just sorry, going back over my notes, it's also potentially linked to, to breast cancer as well. And I think it's like, I don't want this podcast to come across as us saying, you know, our oh, people shouldn't be drinking and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. But ultimately, as with anything, just as with smoking and maybe eating unhealthy foods, you know, if we're putting stuff into our bodies that our bodies don't necessarily naturally want to be having, and I'm not saying that everybody suddenly go off and rush and have like a paleo diet or anything, but our bodies are going to react to that in certain ways. And obviously with alcohol, I think many people will probably know that it does have that link to the liver and how the liver's functioning, but they maybe wouldn't know all the other areas that can potentially come into. So if we go on sort of the advisor space then and sort of like, and obviously if anybody else is just generally listening, um, I think alcohol can sometimes be an area that some advisors might overlook when they're doing sort of like their initial chats with people, you know, especially if, you know, and you're chatting with somebody and you're doing the research, you know, you either, I think a lot of people tend to maybe either not really sort of like speak too in depth with people about, you know, their health or their risks before they go straight into applications. You might get people that are a bit of a midway to sort of like chat a little bit about it and then get straight stuck into things. Or you have us at Cura who we sort of we really go into all this information beforehand, almost a little bit like a tele-interview, but not done in such a in such a formal sense. But one of the things I do when I start chatting with somebody um, is obviously I get everything ready for the application. So, you know, I'm saying, you know, like I've done the research, we're good to go, we're going to be having this, you know, I've already talked about um, the alcohol and everything, but something that um, we make sure, well, I make sure especially that I always ask, you know, if someone says to me something like, oh, I'm drinking about two units a week or five units a week, no matter how much they are drinking, I always say to them, and I'll say, this is something I ask everybody, have you ever been advised to reduce your alcohol consumption? And the reason that I asked this is that I was caught out by this years ago when I was doing an application with somebody. And I was doing this application, this person said, oh, you know, yeah, and at the time, I think they were drinking about 18 units a week. And I was like, okay, so that's not like near the, the flag level with insurers in terms of the amount of units per week. Okay. And as we were doing the application, I was just like, have you ever been taught to reduce your alcohol consumption? I was like, oh. and then suddenly said yes. And I was like, Okay. And it completely stumped me at the time. And, you know, this is very early in my advising <laughs> side of things. Oh, absolutely but, fine, yeah, yeah it, it completely stumped me. And I was like, because I didn't expect it because I thought, well, you've been taught to reduce, but you, you know, in my mind, I was thinking you've been taught to reduce, but you're drinking 18 units. And it didn't factor in my head that somebody would still drink 18 units if they'd been told to reduce the alcohol consumption. And so then it was straight away a case of like, well, what were you drinking? If this is 80, if this is reduced, what was, what were you actually having? And I think we were up to sort of like 45 units a week that they had been having. And obviously there is a quite a, a knock-on effect from that. You know, you know, there are certain amounts of alcohol consumption, which are sort of like the usual levels. And, but, you know, if somebody has been drinking a higher amount and then they have reduced it, you know, the insurers might obviously want to know about that. But I think a good thing to ask straight away, Matt, is why is it so important in like for an underwriter, for an insurer, why is it so important to know about the amount of alcohol that's being consumed? Absolutely, I can completely understand. Well, <clears throat> as you've mentioned already, um, on the basis that statistics will tell you that 
um, more than 60 condi conditions are linked to excessive alcohol abuse. So those are medical conditions, obviously. Then that will give you an immediate insight to the impacts that alcohol can have on the on the human body. And we've we've talked about cancer in terms of liver and, and, and stomach. Um, there are conditions within within the liver called fatty liver. I'm sure that many of our listeners would have heard of that. Yeah. And and effectively. Um, Fatty liver can turn into uh, a condition it's called NASH, or I always call it NASH, because that's that's far easier way of, uh, of, of remembering it. NASH stands for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Uh, that's a mouthful to get out. It is, NASH. yeah. Um, and that really is a, um, a condition which... Uh, can go on to cause scarring of the liver, otherwise known as uh, cirrhosis, and uh, and then can obviously lead to, to liver failure at the end of the day, which is either terminal or, of course, if, a if you're lucky enough to have a, uh, a transplant donor available, then it will end up in a transplant. So, and, but really with, with fatty liver disease, I thought I'd talk a little bit about it because mm. I think it comes up certainly in the media um, uh, an awful lot. But there is also a condition under fatty liver called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, N-A-L-F-D. Now, if you have that, then about 30% of uh, people will end up with NASH. So that potentially is the more serious type of fatty disease, fatty liver disease. And of those getting NASH, then about 20% of that 30% will end up getting end-stage cirrhosis. Right. So fatty liver disease is something that may come up with um, with uh, with advisors when you're, when you're talking to clients. And uh, we know that NASH can be serious, is serious, um, but non-alcoholic. Um, interestingly, alcohol, non-alcoholic, yeah. um, you know, can can lead on to more serious conditions as well. So it's important to get those those conditions noted down. In, it's no surprise, really, that, that you know, we've, we've talked about 60-odd conditions. Stomach ulcers often come with heavy uh, alcohol abuse. So liver and stomach, possibly not surprising, because you're putting toxins down, toxins yeah. down, down your throat, into your stomach, and then it'll go off and um, be broken down in the liver. Um, but brain and nervous systems can also, uh, impacts on the nervous system can also be an issue. So you've got mem memory problems and brain damage. Yeah. nerve damage um, and obviously you've got um, with, within the brain if you want uh, alcohol withdrawal symptoms um, and addiction as well and, and again we've talked about this historically on previous podcasts but uh, unfortunately alcohol or excessive alcohol is also linked to mood and mental health mm. so um, certainly can exacerbate depression and anxiety and paranoia paranoia and hallucinations as well yeah. noting that alcohol is an anti is a depressant in its own right a depressant in its own right yeah. so it's not going to help if you are depressed also you often you often see it with raised blood pressure as well uh, alcohol yeah. itself can um, exacerbate raised blood pressure and we all know that raised blood pressure can lead to strokes and heart attacks so you, you've got a whole raft of pretty serious disorders there, which are in, in some areas life-threatening um, and life-limiting 
and uh, that probably gives you a hope and, and, our, and our listeners an idea of why underwriters are very interested in current alcohol consumption as well as historical alcohol consumption as well. No, absolutely. And I, th- I think it's really fascinating. I mean, ultimately, like you say, you know, even if we if we ignore all the you know potential cancers in the sense of everything, you know, everywhere the alcohol is touching from the mouth right down, you know, if we're talking about the liver, the liver is such an integral part of how the the body functions it's um, I'm going to go a little bit off in a, <laughs> for a minute so when no, I did um, when I did my doctorate one of the things that I did was it was all to do with well part of it was to do with cybernetics and no not robots um, but the the concept of systems and the interconnection of systems and one of the ones that um, I really focused on was something called the viable systems model and it was done by a guy called Stafford Beer and it was fascinating because he was a businessman but what he did is he used to and it's, it's what I use a bit as well is he he models businesses based upon the human body and the central nervous system and everything. And so, you know, basically, so like your, um, your sense, you know, your, your, so your sight, your hearing, everything is your primary function. So the primary functions of the business, um, the spinal cord and all the nervous system and everything that would be like your administration structure that's sort of like making everything coordinate. And obviously then you've got your organs, which are the really vital functions. And, and the reason he did that was it was along the lines of saying, you you can't, you know, there's not one thing that working on its own is going to work. You know, basically, if, if something is affected in one place, there's going to be knock-on effects everywhere else. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to just think of things in a singular kind of way. So as you say, you know, with the liver, it is it is going to have a knock-on effect everywhere. Um, but as interesting what you're saying as well there about mental health, because I think I, I'm not saying that obviously I, I have my way, sort of like the, the ideal way to do it or anything, but it is something that I do. And it's something that I, I've said before on like social media and stuff, because I do have obviously anxiety. Um, but one thing I do is I'm, I'm really big on, I will never drink alcohol if I'm not feeling completely okay. I know it could sound daft, but like you were saying there about being depressant, you know, kind of thing. It's like, for me, it's the case of, I just, cause to me, I just don't want to risk it. I don't want to feel, don't want to risk feeling yuck, but not everybody's in that mindset. And as you say, you know, sometimes it can lead to more of like a, a negative cycle that people can get into with having it. But uh, Absolutely. I think that's a, it's, that's an excellent way of looking at it, uh, Catherine, in terms of um, if you're feeling a bit down. I mean, what, how many people when they're feeling a bit down turn for a drink? And you not doing it, I think, is a fantastic way. So um, it must work for you as well. So I'm glad it helps. It does. But, you know, even so, even though that's my thing, you know, sometimes, you know, if I've had a long day at work and it's not that I'm feeling down or anything, but maybe I'm just tired, I'll think, oh, yeah. I'll, have, I'll maybe have a, a gin tonight. And, you know, and obviously it's nice and I enjoy it. You know, it's, I don't drink often, but, you know, every now and then I will do it. But then there is, you know, obviously I say I'm still in an OK space when I'm doing that. But again, if I wasn't, I just wouldn't do. And, and um, but no, it's, it's very I think it's very easy for it to maybe become a situation where, it's not what people think, you know, people maybe it becomes maybe a bit easy to have that glass of wine or that that gin or something at the end of the day, if it's been a bit of a tough day. And then that kind of like to become the normal level. So then, yeah, yeah. then I think it it can probably quite easily escalate without really realizing it until someday you look back and you think, hang on a minute, you know, but um, that's probably a completely different podcast. But um, but yeah, so if we, if we focus back on sorry the underwriting side of things, it does um, have a link, Catherine. Believe me, what you just said there, yeah. it does have a. It's an important point. So yeah. thank you for sharing it. Yeah, no, of course, thank you. Um, 
so I mean, another thing, so obviously, you know, we know now why the underwriters really need to know about it, because it does have a knock-on effect to so many aspects of the body's function and, and you know, potentially what might develop, because as you say, it is, a, it is a bit of a toxin going into the body. And one of the things that I seem to, obviously, when someone says to me that they have um, had a lot of alcohol in the past, or maybe they're talking about cirrhosis, or as you've said, um, the alcoholic fatty liver, I always ask people for what's known as their latest LFT. So that is Lima Foxtrot Tango reading so that I can do the research for the cover. And it's one of those things for me that if someone comes to me in that situation and they don't have those readings, I will typically kind of say, look, I need you to go away and find those before I can do research and really prepare you for what's going to be available. Um, so can you explain a little bit about what these, the, the liver function tests, what the readings mean and sort of kind of like what would be maybe considered normal levels and, and not normal-ish levels? Yeah, sure. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I think some of the, some of the, the, the levels, again, um, is an interesting point and I'll, I'll talk about those. But really liver function tests, um, there are a, a number and as we're talking about alcohol, um, I'll just stick to the ones that are, are relevant to alcohol. Ones that not, uh, very, very quickly, include um, a total protein reading, a total albumin reading, yeah. total globulin reading, and total bilirubin, which I'm sure people who they're interested in their own medical results, they're fairly standard when a, when a GP asks for bloods, um, will, will have seen them. The three really the two but the three that are most common in terms of um, looking at alcohol is something called ALP and the wonderful technical name is aspartate transaminase uh, ALC which is alanine transaminase and gamma GT which is probably the most uh, famous one which is gamma glucosamyl transferase now the gamma GT is the uh, reading that generally goes up um, first if mm. you are drinking uh, heavily. The other two are more slow to react. Um, gamma GT will come down relatively quickly if you don't drink at all, where the other two take a little bit of time. Now, in terms of readings, I, I, I must admit, um, I, I always get a little bit a little bit of a red flag comes up when um, I see, even on GP reports from GPs, mm. they will just give a single reading. Let's say, let's take, I'll, I'll give the read, no, well, <laughs> I will give some readings in a minute, the normal ranges, um, with a ca big caveat, I'll go on. Yeah. Um, but GPs or people that just say, I've got a gamma GT of, let's say, 60, mm. um, it's not that helpful. What you actually need is the range that the, the, the laboratory has used. Yeah. For instance, and I'll give you, here's some examples. Um, normal range from a couple of cases I've seen recently, um, these are laboratory ranges. So here they will dictate whether it's up or down, I don't think I've ever mm. seen a very low gamma GT, but either which, uh, sorry, one under the normal range. But the, the normal range is five to 60 units, whatever the, okay. the, whatever the unit is. Now, I read this morning that others are saying six to 32. All right. I've seen others that actually have an upper limit of 80. Okay. So you have one of 32, you have one of 60, and you, have, you have one of 80. Now, 
the reading and whether it's up or not really is is, is, is you need to look at the actual normal range hmm. okay so so for instance um if it was if it was 40 on the 6 to 32 that that would be up okay but on the, the 5 to 60 and it was and it was 40 then it wouldn't be up yeah. yeah, the normal range is so so important, and whether it is and whether the, the 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 level is over and above the range for that particular laboratory. So, as I say, single readings. What I mean by that is a read a reading with no reference range is is not that helpful. Okay. Okay. When you've got Obviously, if I've, I've used references here for an upper range of, say, between 32 and 80. If you have one of 120, you know that that is going to be raised. Yes. Key is, now, is 120 uh, 50% higher than 80, or is it four times higher on the 32? Right. I.e., okay. if, it's four time, if it's four times higher, then that person has, has got a problem, definite mm. problem. If it's fifty percent higher, then maybe he's he's been on holiday and drunk too much yeah. for, a, for a short period. Does that does that make sense, Catherine? Because it, yeah, it it's does. Quite important, I think, for 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 if there are any underwriters out there, I'm sure that that they will be trained on that type of thing. But it also it's important um, for people. I mean, when, when, you know, if you have a blood pressure reading, you've got one twenty over eighty. That type of thing is barely standard. Depending yeah. on your, depending on your age, of course, and whether it means anything from a clinical perspective, but but these when you have blood tests and it doesn't just apply to liver function, you really need to know the range so you can put that reading into perspective. Yeah. Okay. So, Gamma, is, as I sorry sorry to um, repeat, does, does that make sense? Do you think? Yeah, I think that does make sense. Because I think you know I've had that similarly with something else recently, which it was for me. I was like, I got the readings, but then and obviously I sent it over, but then. It wasn't to do with alcohol. It was to do with cholesterol, actually, which I thought yeah. was quite standard. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I thought they were quite standard range. And I sent the the things off to the insurer, and the, and the underwriter said, "Well, we need to know the reference range." And I was thinking, <laughs> for me, I was like, yeah. "Really?" Because I've never yeah. ever been asked the reference range before for cholesterol, but I have it, so I'm just going to make sure, obviously, that they get it over to them. But no, so I do understand that you know it's you know different areas will sometimes do them in slightly different ranges, and we need to make sure that. It's We're different laboratories. It. That's yeah. right. It's, it's the laboratories that can can do them in different so with different ranges. With with cholesterol, the the differences uh, between laboratories is, is much much smaller. Yeah, we're talking about you know point point five, naught point five, for instance, yeah. on the range. But either either which way. So um, if if liver function tests are available, um, we've talked about the three that underwriters will look at. Um, but I would say that the ALP why I kind of focus more on ALT and Gamma GT was really that ALP isn't really specific to the liver at all. Okay. It's, you know, it can also be raised for a number of other factors such as bone disease, osteoporosis, pagets, things like that. Yeah. Um, so again, it, it's important um, to look at the picture as all underwriters do and or should do, look at the whole picture here. Other clinicians, <clears throat> GPs in other words, We'll also look at um, the, a blood test, which is usually found in your full blood count, called an MCV, hmm. which is, stands for mean corpuscular volume. 
And what, what happens there is uh, to see if there's any uh, increases in the, that range, for instance. And when with that one, a normal range is 83 to 96. Now, what, what, what happens is that, and we, and we talked about those 60 odd different areas, Catherine, yeah. MCV gets raised when, where alcohol poisons the bone marrow. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> we talk about alcohol impacting different parts yeah. of the body. And it actually increases the size of the um, of the red red blood cells, um, and, and doesn't allow them to function properly. Okay. At the end of the day, and you will, and that causes an increase in your MCV. So, um, it, it basically poisons poisons some of the red blood cells, and um, they can increase within, so MCV um, readings will increase within six to eight weeks of heavy drinking, and you have to stay off, <clears throat> from to turn back to normal, stay off alcohol completely for about two to three months. Right. So if they're up, that's that's um, a, a bit of a, a red flag. Um, the other thing that clinicians look at is tri triglycerides as well, which you'll know from um, your, your cholesterol yeah. Um, lipo, lipo fractions, triglycerides, which are fatty um, acids and um, effectively can be up because of the fat content of alcohol. Yeah. Okay, which we know all about because it puts on weight, obviously. Um, so you do have the liver function test, but I thought I'd throw in um, certainly MCVs as well and triglycerides because, again, um, a, a, an experienced underwriter will look not just at the, uh, the liver function test, but also they will look at those two areas as well. And certainly clinicians do, doctors, G GPs. Um, so does that help in terms of is it your, your, your question? Or you, you, yeah, you yeah. You know what, what? What are these readings all about? Actually, what are, what are, what do the, the, the numbers mean? Um, yeah, it it really helps as well because I think it's say for for a lot of people, I think you know we'd probably be thinking you know I know to sort of like you know for me my go to is probably to say to people you know what your latest liver function test is, and I think people do tend to sort of like generally know that and that'll be the one that probably sticks in the mind. But yeah. having all those extra ones as well, it's just that extra bit of information that if you can get it from the start, then it means that you and the underwriters are prepared for what's going to come up in the application and the GP reports. And then you can just manage expectations really early on, which is is obviously what is the main thing. I suppose um, something that sort of like stands out for me is sort of like, when does it become a, you know, so if somebody is applying for maybe life insurance, critical or income protection, what kind of amount of units or amount of beers would you maybe be expecting every week where an underwriter starts to think, hmm, I wonder if we maybe need to know a bit more about what's going on inside here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. And I would have said that um, from uh, underwriting in the last few years, um, the uh, underwriting fraternity have been a, 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 probably a little bit more... Uh, wary yeah. of, uh, of, of uh, units of alcohol consumed. Now, I must admit, I didn't realise that it was um, when people, when clinicians introduced the idea of counting units of alcohol, that that actually was introduced as, uh, recently, if I, can, if I can call it recently, it's 1987. Oh, right. It surprised me. I would have thought that units had been going on forever. But um, bear in mind, I was a relatively, uh, in 1987, I was a 
relatively old older person in 1987. <laughs> 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 I'm a bit careful here, um, but it, 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 it's, it's it's interesting. Um, but to, to to answer your question in terms of units, um, then uh, it's it, it's around thirty. Yeah. Somebody discloses 30, and it certainly used to be more for life. So I'm talking 30 kick and IP, critical mm-hmm. illness and IP. If it's, it used to be more than, more than that for life. But um, with the advent of uh, automated underwriting systems, I seem to come across cases being um, referred or even declined in some cases for, 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 for life insurance with alcohol between 30 and 40. Yeah. So it is, it's a little bit um, different between different insurers. Uh, yeah. That way, which is no surprise because a lot of, a lot of these uh, medical disorders are, but alcohol seems to be one that is um, not necessarily being, being treated in yeah. uh, where it should be by automated underwriting systems. What I mean by treating the way it should be, I think you need a downside bigger picture than I'm drinking 31 units. Yeah, I think it's quite... There's a lot, there is a lot to it with alcohol yeah. uh, consumption. I was going to say as well, I think, you know, I sounds, you know, 30 units sounds like a lot, you know, and it really does. But then I kind of think of, and I know it's not necessarily the case now, but I think of the amount of people, I mean, not saying it was always me, but like whenever I obviously it definitely wasn't me when I was traveling to London because I wasn't drinking but when I would travel down to London and I'd be there and I'd maybe like be going from meeting to meeting the amount of people you would see kind of on the lunch breaks having a drink together on lunch and then you'd go into some meetings and you'd come out and then people would then be there having dinners and having drinks and it seemed to be yeah kind of you know I'd look at it and I'd think I imagine there's a lot of people here and this kind of not not a specific mentality but just that culture of getting together and seeing each other and kind of like that informal networking with business and everything. I imagine it's quite easy for, for it to quickly add up without you realising it. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, with, with drinking socially, I mean, you've got so many different um, ways that you can have alcohol. You can have it in cans, as you know, cans, mm. bottles, big bottles, small bottles. You can have the traditional pint pulled. Um, it's quite difficult to really keep an eye on quite what you are drinking. And there's absolutely no two ways. I mean, in rest- not restaurants so much if there's just two of you, but if you're at um, one an industry event, then you're going to get people keep on topping up your glass. Yes, I was going to say, Lindsay and Jay, they went down to the uh, Money Marketing Awards. Yeah. The, and um, I'd say the pictures of them coming back on the train the next day were not the jolly, smiley faces that had gone down the day before. Um, there were sunglasses on. <laughs> they'd, um, they'd, had a, they'd had a very, very good night. And uh, the same with Alan. He was down at the Cover Awards. And it was uh, surprised me the amount of messages. Obviously, people were like, chatting to each other socially the next day. And I think it's because... To be honest, I think in those situations, it was just a case of this, you know, the really big get togethers. It's been so long since people have seen each other. But there was a lot of people, again, saying that they've had some sore heads. But I think that in itself as well, though, that can sometimes stand out and confuse people because, you know, some people might think, well, I have a glass of wine every night. So that's it's not like I'm going on and suddenly having a binge on the weekend. But then other people might think well, I don't drink the majority of the month, but then on a week, you know, I'll, there'll be like one weekend at the end of the month when I've had my pay packet come in and um, and I have a really nice weekend, two days, just uh, sort of like nice time with my mates. 
Yeah. And they probably don't see that as bad because they're like, well, I'm not doing it for the majority of the time. But then it's it's so hard, isn't it? Sort of like which, in the sense, you can't, I don't even think there is a case of which one's better, kind of like a regular steady stream of alcohol or going on a, a real bender kind of well, thing. It's, it's think, difficult. Yeah, I, I think if, if, we, if we look at clinicians and statistics, binge drinking is certainly not a good idea. No. Um, because, um, you know, in, in an extreme level, you can end up with alcoholic poisoning, of course, but um, yeah. pre- pretty rare, I hope. Um, but the old liver, the, you know, the recommendation these days, and you do see it on insurance applications, they ask you how many days a week you drink. Yes. I'm sure you've seen that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's known that to allow your liver to, re- to um, recuperate after being poisoned let's, mm. let's be sure about it um is a, is a very good idea so somebody drinking once a month potentially depending on how much then th- rather than three or four units a day is probably a better thing yeah absolutely um, so um you know it's it, but it's it's different for different people i have to say and you know i, I once upon a time in, in previous life i did um some research for a channel five program okay and it was all around um what alcohol did to your body Mm. um and the they selected um i think i probably wrote underwrote that is but not in the traditional sense i just just looked at them from a from a, a medical perspective so i didn't these weren't applications for insurance yeah um under probably about a dozen i think that these that the TV program came up with, and these people um, were admitting to. They were party goers, basically clubbers, and they yeah. were admitting to something between uh, seventy and one hundred and twenty units a week. Right. And uh, so not every day, but a, but yeah. a week at the weekend when they went out. And uh, what happened was that um, full bloods were done on them all. So in other words, I would have included your MCVs, your trigs, but importantly, liver function tests. And uh, it was a great surprise to me that none of them came up with raised liver function tests. Oh, wow. Any of them, or MCV, or TRIGS. And, you know, call me a sceptic, but I wondered whether they'd over-exaggerated the amount of alcohol. Right. They actually had. Or it tells you... That some oh, people's bodies I'm do different... I'm not sure. Some but people's yeah. bodies metabolise it in different ways. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, again, this is what I mean about um, taking one element of, uh, of, of alcohol as red, if you like, yeah. as a black mark against somebody. We really do need to find out an awful lot more. The, 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 the challenge, again, that um, the whole industry has is partly because people don't actually know what they mm-hmm. drink. Let's be honest. If they are regular drinkers, they don't know what they drink. Yeah. Um, but also, of course, because it's self-reported. Yeah, and I think anybody who is going to um, go for life insurance, life credit income protection, is likely there is likely to be a bit of an underestimation than um, an absolute true estimation. Okay. Um, that's just the way of the world, I think, because you you can never ultimately prove it unless that unless individual GP involvement and, and stuff absolutely and told them. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting one. You, you know, we, we've talked about um, have you uh, ever been asked to reduce alcohol? Um, well, I certainly have. I, I drink about 25 units a week. I'm a, very, I'm a member of Camera, Campaign for Real Ale, and I do love my beer. Okay. Um, but I'm also hypertensive. Right. Um, 
which, which is one of those 60-odd conditions. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, to cut a long story short, not get personal about me, um, every time I see the hypertensive nurse, which is what every year, mm. she told me to reduce my alcohol. Yes. You know, and the reality is, am I drinking too much? Well, according to the, the public uh, guidelines of 14 for both men and women now, which they which kind of came down in 2016. Yeah. It felt as though it was the other year, but 2016. Um, then certainly, certainly I am. And a, a, another um, statement, if you want, I'm not sure yeah. if it's a fact or not, but I'll throw it in that actually the NHS, are pay, uh, sorry, the GPs are actually paid to actually uh, ask if somebody's drinking more than 14 units a week. Oh, right. And... Um, advice and you know part of that cost obviously be um if they have to advise to reduce that was going to be something i was going to ask about because you yeah, know, i don't with... know whether that is fact or not i have to say for the, for the sake of bear in mind that you know yeah. this is a podcast a live podcast um but it, it goes back to well i'm always a little bit skeptical about people who've been told to reduce their alcohol you know what, what do we say you i think you mentioned 18 to 14 you know, from an underwriting perspective, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah. So it sets flags s- flying all over the place for absolutely no reason at all. So I've, I've had, it like, yeah, a couple of people recently, and it was that was one of the things I was going to ask you about. You know, I've had somebody that long ago who, um, you know, they were type 1 diabetics. When I said, have you been advised to reduce? And they're like, well, yeah, I've been told that because I have type 1 diabetes that – yeah. I, ideally, I shouldn't drink alcohol, but it's not that yeah. they drink. They weren't drinking anywhere near, and they'd never had been drinking anywhere near your flag levels of alcohol. They just had, you know, the occasional social drink. But it's kind of like, but still, on the application form, I'd probably need to tick yes, and then follow yeah. it up with the underwriter to say it's not really. But you know, but you know, but then that could end up then maybe triggering GP reports or, or something extra that we maybe didn't need to have in the first place. And then yeah. there was someone else um, not long ago that they're drinking about twenty units a week. It's a gentleman I've spoken to, and I said, "Have you been advised?" He was like, "Yeah," and that that kind of matches in with what you were just saying in that because he had um, joined a new GP surgery, so we'd done his new GP form. He'd um, said, I drink about 20 units a week. So the GP had said, you should probably not drink 20 units a week. And it's a case of, it is advice not to drink as much, but it's not like, it's not not from a blood test. It's not from, you know, it's just a general guidance of saying, it's it's kind of almost as well, a bit down to individual GP mindset of, well, I'm going to say it to this person. I'm not going to say it to that person, you know, in in some ways. Um, yeah. And then it's like, how does that then kind of influence the application and the terms? Yeah, it, it's a it's a difficult area. Um, I think particularly when you're dealing with um, automated underwriting systems, because there are so many ifs and buts to actually create a, 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 a framework in order to get the, the information that actually helps. Yeah. Um, is is not easy, and it's obviously very expensive as well to start messing around. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those areas which, you know, I think I think for me, and it's such a subtle difference. But is have have I been told to reduce my alcohol, or have I been advised? Yeah, told is a much more sinister. Than yeah. advised. You know, it's, anybody, it's... anybody who's overweight is probably going to be advised to reduce because you don't yeah. get, you don't take so many calories. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's, that whole question, that question is a very, it, it can create an awful lot of hassle. Let me put it that way. And of course, underwriters, underwriters don't want to go around getting more information or delay cases mm. or everything else because um, it's, it's, it's a waste of their time, ultimately. So Absolutely. I think the, the best thing to do is find come up with another way of um, quantifying pay, it probably. paying the information that you want. Yeah, Absolutely. Because yeah. I was going to say from an advisor point of view, it's hard because, you know, if someone says to you, well, I've kind of been told and not told and as an advisor, you straight away, well, I'm going to have to, you know, check it out, you know, not even if it's not specifically naming the client, but as you're doing research, you know, speaking to an underwriter and just saying, right, I have a situation where this is what's happened, what do I need to do? Because ultimately, as the advisor, you know, you don't want to non-disclose. You also, you know, obviously, you don't want to over-disclose. And, and I think generally the guidance is that would usually come back is that um, from an underwriter would be a case of, well, it depends upon what the client's been told. And so you kind of end up in a bit of a, yeah. a situation where you're stuck. Yeah, and you just have to say it and then just live with what happens. But I do have a case study as we're coming towards the end of our chat. Okay. So I have a case study of somebody, and it was a, a lady um, who came to us um, a little while ago. She's in her mid-40s, so um, BMI, absolutely fine, working full-time, young children, and wanted to make sure there's some family protection in place, obviously. Now, when I talk about the premiums of this one, they are going to seem higher, and the, one of the reasons being is that she was a nicotine e-cigarette user. So um, as with the majority of insurers, that meant that she was smoke rates, um, which obviously did bump the pricing up. So. Um, so previously, um, before coming to us, she had been diagnosed with alcohol dependency. Um, she'd been drinking generally um, a bottle of wine a night, but at times um, she was on about you know, at least 80 units a week. And she'd been told by her GP, obviously, that she needed to stop drinking. Obviously, she got the involvement. She'd seen a psychiatrist to help and everything as well. And, um, you know, at one point, had to obviously she'd had to stop driving and she'd had a seizure as well and ended up in hospital and was told obviously that she absolutely needed to go through a, a full detox um, and from the point of her kind of being told that she was alcohol dependent to her stopping it was about seven years before she properly stopped um, drinking and it meant that when she actually came to us she'd actually been teetotal for about five years, which is obviously was a really good, a really uh, big achievement for her. And obviously she was really happy with where she was in life compared to where she had been. So for us, obviously we were looking at different options. And in terms of the family protection, we were able to arrange her 500,000 pounds worth of life insurance over 18 years. And the premium came out at um, around about 188 pounds per month. Now for some people that might seem quite a large premium, but as I say, also, we need to take into account that she um, was a smoker. And, you know, to be quite transparent as well, the premiums were increased on the policy because of the sort of like what had been going on in terms of the alcohol and the long term effects that the insurer felt were possibly still there or potentially still a risk from what had been obviously the previous consumption. And, and I think probably the amount of time it had taken to be able to do the full detox and, and to actually stop drinking. But that's an example of obviously it is possible to get cover. Um, you know, this person obviously had had quite a large alcohol consumption. And as I say, the, the time period of, of getting to a point where there was no alcohol was, was seven years. So if you are here in that kind of a situation, it's, it's to sort of like say, you know, 
don't assume that it's a no. Yes, we sort of like generally say 30 units is is a flag for for insurers, but for the sale of this person, it had been something where you know the, the alcohol hadn't been there for quite a while. But even if it hasn't been there for a while, just bear in mind that it can potentially have an influence on the premiums and, and quite a good influence on the premiums. I say good influence. I mean, <laughs> that's probably my Yorkshire way of saying it, but good it actually probably means bad <laughs> in the sense of it's increasing. Um, but I just mean it's, it's there's going to yeah, be an increase there. <laughs> um, and um, and obviously we, we don't want to see that, but it's just an example to say that the cover is possible. And with anything like this as well, really important. And I know we kind of have this debate in the industry about reviewing policies not reviewing policies um but if you have had somebody in this kind of a situation and either they've they've not been able to get cover obviously you can always signpost or if not um you know keep them in the book say let's chat to, again in you know a certain period of time just keep seeing what's available in the market if you have arranged something maybe go back and see if there's maybe there was a stage where the, the premium increases will be less and so overall the premiums will be a lot better for the person. And um and you know it can be it can be really important to do that because obviously the longer we go since something's happened or since some certain events or circumstances have stopped, um, the more favorable the underwriting risks can become after a while. And also underwriting philosophies change, Catherine, I would say yes. as well. Yeah. Um, you know, with with the fantastic advances in medicine. Uh, I'm talking across the piece here, of course. Um, you know, there are, there are cases now that can be written um, where five years ago, they, well, maybe five, ten years ago, they, they couldn't. Absolutely. So um, it, it's always worth looking at those um, those those cases where that have attracted uh, an increased premium historically. So yeah. no, absolutely. Can I um, can I throw something in? Oh, um, go on then. Yeah. It's, um, not particularly interesting, I have to say. <laughs> but it's, but um, it, 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 it's something that I, I know um, I kind of grew up with in my reinsurance days as a, something which sounds extremely strange. But um, we, we've talked about liver function tests. We've talked about readings, abnormal readings, and, um, and so on and so forth, um, and how, how we have to be careful in our interpretation of those readings. Well, it's not unheard of that people with liver cirrhosis have completely normal liver function tests. Oh, so, I have expected that. There you go. That's Well, absolutely. I didn't expect it all those years ago when I was growing up as an underwriter. Um, I, it always uh, uh, kind of fixated in my brain, if you like. And really, yeah. it's because, of course, the, the, the uh, ALPAST, gamma GTR enzymes, and effect, effectively, when someone's got cirrhosis, the liver cells have died. And of course, right. they can't give out enzymes oh. because they are too damaged. So, so does that mean it's kind of like reached an even more serious level? Because if, yeah, if the enzymes are just so. dead, then... Well, the cell's right. dead, but it loses the enzyme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, again, it's well, why I raise it is <laughs> uh, we have to be careful uh, in yeah. using the interpretation. And um, also just throw in as well that um, I think it's, it's around... Two and a half percent of uh, of people who have abnormal gamma GT, um, listeners might remember that I said that was the one that kind of reacts yeah. most quickly to to to, to alcohol. Um, they they will have uh, abnormal gamma GT uh, for for no known reason, right? No underlying pathology at all. It's just their makeup, their, the way that their liver works. 
Oh, fair enough. So again, we just need to be careful of how we, it's not just one thing, it's the whole picture. And I think if anything, you know, we've been talking for a year now, I think, on these podcasts, yeah. Is, yeah. is really that um, underwriters should, I'm sure, do look at the big picture and, and yeah. take everything into account when assessing a case, because it is, it is very, very important. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I think that is... The only two things I was I was going to going to have. That's brilliant, and it's it's reminded me as well. Um, Alan, years ago, Alan, I don't know why he had a blood test, but he was having a blood test for something, and they noticed that his liver function tests were a bit funny. And I can't say the name of what it was, but basically, he'd taken like a bit of a. You start taking like a bit of a daily vitamin, like an energy booster yeah. type thing. Yeah. 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 And um, and it caused it, and um. Because his brother had had something. I think his brother started taking them. And he said, oh, I feel brilliant on these. So Alan had started taking them. And, um, and his, you know, he suddenly turned around. Afterwards, he was like, turning to me, he was like, he goes, you know what? Apparently, this has happened. And they said it could be. And he was just, and the brother said, that's happened to me as well. But I just thought it must have been me. So, yeah. you know, anything, you know, as we say, I mean, obviously we're saying alcohol, but even that, you know, something that's penned as being something healthy, really good for the body, that can have an influence on the way yeah. that, different it's things are working a, on the inside it's simply saying that the, the 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 liver is working harder than it normally does yeah and then trying to metabolize the um the, the vitamins was was causing it to work harder that's all it is saying ultimately yeah. at the end of the day and of course we shouldn't it's a very last gasp for me we shouldn't uh, forget that some medical treatments some medical drugs can cause yeah uh, increased nfts as well certainly i mean I, this is a bit from memory but i certainly remember some of the epilepsy drugs um, right. the, the LFTs need to be monitored to ensure that the liver isn't being uh, is working is, is not working too hard. Yeah. Obviously, the GP has to look at the balance between the drugs and and, and the liver working hard against the control of the epilepsy. Absolutely. So there are an awful lot of things that can cause can cause these things can uh, raise LFTs and you know sometimes in a good percentage. Um, it's absolutely nothing to do with alcohol at all. So yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean about big picture. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of here, everything and anything. So, well, thank you, Matt, for, for going through all of that and as always sharing your insights. It's been really My useful. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> Next time, I'm going to be back with Roy McLaughlin and uh, we're going to be chatting with uh, Peter Hamilton and all the things that he's been getting up to in the industry and beyond. And uh, I think that's going to be really exciting to see all the different um, things, especially in his new disability role as well. Um, be good to catch up with him. Um, if anybody would like to remind you of the next episode, please drop a message on social media to me or any of my colleagues. And you can visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And please don't forget, if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website. Thanks to our sponsors, Octo members. So thank you again, uh, Matt, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Yes, take care, everybody. And um, yeah, hopefully before the end of the year. That'd be good. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt.